0: you're listening to the broadway podcast network curtain of theater people and welcome to your program is your ticket my name is sean chandler and i'll be your host your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen as many of you know your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller more intimate productions it sees works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. Today's show is a continuation of a new series called Act Two Places. I'm bringing on a series of guests to discuss how COVID-19 affected them and their organizations. As you all know, we've been hit hard with a complete, hopefully temporary, change of lifestyle and business systems during this pandemic, and theater wasn't spared. In fact, theater has undergone one of its biggest shifts, if not the biggest shift in the history of modern theater. This series gives theater folks an opportunity to discuss the effects of this shift on them and their organizations. My guest on today's show is Dane Reese. Dane has been a professional entertainer for more than 16 years and has performed all over the world in such locations as Las Vegas, Boston, New York City, Canada, Australia, Italy, and Germany, to name a few. Dane is also the creator, host, producer of the You Booked It podcast, which features interviews with entertainment professionals from every aspect of the industry. Broadway entertainers, movie stars, Tony winners, Grammy winners, casting agents, authors, and musicians are asked the same set of questions, culminating in truly actionable steps toward achieving an artist's entertainment career. I brought Dane on the show to discuss his career, his training techniques as styled for the COVID-19 crisis, and his thoughts on the effect of this crisis on the Las Vegas theater scene. Now, Dane was interviewed at a different time to accommodate schedules, so you may hear differences in audio here and there. Not that that takes anything away from his interview. I'm just letting you know up front, just in case things sound a little different from what you're hearing right now. So let's bring him on. Hi Dana, welcome to your program. Is your ticket? Hey Sean, how you doing? Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. Doing great. How are things in Las Vegas? Things are good. Things are good. Yeah. Um, it's look. It's kind of a strange time, right?
1: Like right. everybody. But here we go, and <laughs> we're all keeping up with everything. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird time, and we're getting through it. Hey
0: um we were recent my husband and I were recently in Las Vegas about four months ago it's the only time we've gone anywhere during all of this and I tell everybody when they're like wow that seems so risky I'm not kidding you Vegas they're keeping Vegas spotless as far as I can tell I mean yeah for sure
1: and that's something that Vegas has always been really good about I mean I'm sure this will be kind of a through line through a bit of this interview, is that Vegas is so good at adapting to everything. Oh, yeah. Whatever new things come, and whatever it takes to make guests feel entertained, safe, whatever, in, whatever that requirement is, Vegas is the best, from my experience, of adjusting to the needs of
0: the consumer. Totally, it was everything was constantly being wiped down. I was like, "They're, they're well, they understand that that their industry is tourism, so they're doing everything that they can to bring people in." And um, we we got back safe, and we're we haven't gotten COVID yet, so that's great. And that was like four months ago, so I (laughs) I always have to qualify that when I talk about it because you know everybody's so. Like, uh, I think we're good in four months. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> no kidding, yeah. um, Let's start by having you talk about your background in a little more detail than what I provided in the introduction, please.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I didn't start in the performing arts till quite late in life, not until I was about 17 and a half, almost 18 years old, actually, uh, which is a bit strange, I guess, because most people that come into the industry start like... My daughter, who's four years old, just turned four, but she's been in dance class since she was two, right? Sure, yeah. And I'm kind of your high school musical glee story, really. I played sports. I was a jock. I played baseball. I played football. Everything, really, but primarily those two sports. And then late into high school, I got a series of con- series of concussions uh, in football. And then I would have needed elbow surgery if I would have continued playing baseball. And all oh. that happened in about a four-month time period. And all of a sudden I had, I quit both those sports. I had nothing to do my entire life up to that point. I'd always Uh, done some kind of something extracurricular after school. So I was already used to compressing homework into, you know, a couple of hours. Right. And then I had nothing going on. I was bored out of my mind. And then Mm -hmm. my sister's friend came over one day and she says, Hey, we need a guy to lift some girls in this Christmas (laughs) show. Wanna do it? And that just started the snowball. I said yes. And to make a long story short, I really enjoyed it. I started off, you know, doing hip hop and break dancing because that was the conservative thing to do up in Montana. And, uh, but that quickly turned into me just wanting to learn everything about dance and performing arts and got the, the high school drama because why not? And they were doing a musical, so I was like, "Well, I should sing." So I joined choir, and then it turns out I could do everything really well, and that's just snowballed. That led to me being the mascot at the University of Montana, where I won the Capital One National Mascot of the Year award, actually, cool. uh, for being the best collegiate mascot in the states. Nice. And then at that point, I thought, you know, so I was doing vocal performance at University of Montana. I thought I liked this, but I also really like being in front of these big crowds because every weekend I was performing in front of 20,000 people, right? And I was like, how do I do both of these things? I was like, (laughs) ah, musical theater. (laughs) And so then I auditioned for some schools and I ended up going to the Boston Conservatory, got my BFA there, moved to New York, got an agent, did all that kind of stuff. Um, And then met who is now my wife, on this fantastic ship contract. My agent was not happy we were going to take that contract, but uh, I said, look, I need to pay some student loans. So he's like, all right, all right, I'll see you in 10 months. And then I never made it back to New York because I met who's my wife. So right. <laughs> that's how that happened. And we've traveled all over the world performing, lived in Australia for a while performing, and then moved to Vegas and did that for the last seven and a half years. and that. Pretty much takes us up to today, right?
0: <laughs> well, there's been a couple of detours along the way. As oh yeah, lots of detours. <laughs> you've you've started this incredible podcast and providing service um, to teach uh, people in the entertainment industry about the industry itself, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for sure. So
1: that all came about, I guess, through my experience in the industry uh-huh. uh, that's where it all rooted from right so like I said I started late I had there's no one that's in the performing arts in my family it's just me right so I had no real guidance I had some teachers and stuff and that were wonderful and pointed me in some good directions for education but as far as really making a professional career happen I didn't really have a lot of guidance right so then sure. I get my you do the regular route you go to the school you get the education anyway I pop out of the Boston Conservatory, after spending $200,000 to go to school there, got this in- insane skill set, really good at what I do technically. And I get to New York, and I'm like, H- I don't actually know how to make this skill set a career or to make mm. me money. How do I make a living out of this now? right? And it, it blew my mind. I'm like, how is it possible that I spent all that money, got all this training, and yet I do not know how to actually make a career in this industry? Um, so moving forward, of course, you, know, you figure it out eventually, but it took a long time, right? A lot of years and making mistakes and things like that, that I just don't think need to be happening for anyone. Uh, so it really started with me just talking to my castmates and my peers and being on contracts and being like, what do you guys think about this? Like, how is this happening? This is, I found these resources, I found these people, I found this work. Is this something you're interested in? And then we just kind of get this round table discussion going, right? Just between these one-on-one conversations about putting this career together. How does it work from a business side uh, of everything? And that eventually moves into and it evolves into creating a talk and then you know, talking to different performing arts schools and students and things like this, and saying, "All right, well, let's let's not talk not let's not just talk one on one, right? Let's see if I can talk to more people at the same time <laughs> and share this opinion, right?" And then COVID hits, and uh, I was like, "Well, that's kind of gone. What can I do? How do I still communicate this?" And I was like, "Ooh, a podcast would be <laughs> really right? good." Uh, and it's something that I'd always wanted to do, but I was very fortunate to have a very booked schedule performing, and it just. It takes time to do a podcast and to, once you get in the role, you know what I mean? Like you get your habits, but the initial setup and doing it takes a, takes a minute to wrap your head around, right? As as you know, and I suddenly had the time. I said, let's do this. And not only is this going to be something that I'm going to really love and I think I'm going to really enjoy because I'm going to be speaking to entertainers, but also that I would be able to do more than just speak from my experience and the, in the friends that I'd spoken with. Yeah, that's a lot of people, but let's go talk with so, like anybody I can find some of the best people in this industry from all over the world, from all these different markets in the world that are doing all these different things in the entertainment industry, different parts of it. Let's talk about that. Let's figure out how people have gotten into the careers they're having. Let's talk about how they transitioned from different parts of the industry as their careers evolved. How did they, how do they leave the stage if they're a dancer how do they leave the performing being in the spotlight moment because they've gotten older how do they transition out of that but still into the arts and still be artistically fulfilled but also provide income and a lifestyle that's fulfilling and in the arts how do we do this so that's really what inspired me to create the podcast and take it to the next level
0: wow cool it sounds like you have a very uh sharp awareness of sort of the general phases of a performer, because I, <clears throat> excuse me, I interview a lot of different people uh, of a lot of different ages and I can sort of identify where they probably are uh, within their career. Uh, you were talking earlier about, you know, going to a very expensive school and then coming out mm-hmm. with this education, which is, which is great. Um, and I'm always, I, uh, uh, I can always sort of tell where somebody is with that because a lot of the younger people that I, I interview people from like the new school and Tish and out here mm. and they come out and they, they just sort of look like, okay, I'm ready. Hand me that lead role. Yep. And then, yeah. uh, you know, a little farther down the line, they're like, I'm ready. Hand me that lead role so I could start paying the college <laughs> loans back, you know, and, and, and then yeah. as, as you get older and stuff, so that's, that's, I, I think that that's, um, a very good quality to have based upon your goal of your podcast.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the thing is, this is also why I interview people from different parts of their career. Because, look, it is, admittedly, it's difficult to really take heed in what someone tells you. I've, so myself personally, I've always been someone who goes, love the advice that you're telling me, I'm going to do it anyway and right figured out myself yeah i'm really good at doing that i've done that it's just what i do a lot of the time um so by having a lot of different people in on the podcast from different parts of their careers right from people that are fresh out of school that have some had some really great success right straight away mm-hmm. and how does that look and then how do people how does it look you know when you're 60 years old and you have had an amazing career but you can you have the benefit of reflecting back and looking at that journey and commenting on it what i really like about that is yeah while previously you might dismiss the advice coming from someone who say is 45 right and you're 20 a little bit because you're like oh they don't get me i'm 20 and <laughs> they're 45 right. but here's the deal the same through lines and the same fundamentals the same advice that is coming up through the whole string from people that are at the, have had these epic careers to the people who are just starting out and have had some really great initial success in their careers, the fundamentals are all the same. So you're like, Ooh, this is, I need to pay attention to this. And that's why in the podcast I have, I ask the exact same set of questions in every episode. Yeah, we, we tangent and we have discussions based on whatever they say, but we always hit a core set of questions. Right, So it makes it very easy for you as a listener to pick out all those little actionable tidbits that you can go, oh, I can apply this to my career. And it's easier to find that within an episode. So when you start hearing the same things from all these different people, from all these different walks of life in the industry, you go, oh, okay, I should probably listen to that because everyone's saying it. Right.
0: Yeah, lots of themes that stay consistent no matter – where what, what level they're on with their career or their age, um, it, and I think that's because it, it, sometimes it doesn't really matter how old you are. The entertainment business ebbs and flows, and it could do yeah. it at, at any time in your life. You're up, you're down. You're up, you're down. It's it's it can um, wreak havoc on the ego <laughs> and on the pocketbook. <laughs> so that's, that's it's never fun to, to learn that lesson. But you know, it's great that you're that you're doing this, uh, so that people can, can learn from others. And, Hmm. um, and, and you have a very, uh, safe way of getting them there by asking the same questions. Tell me about those questions that you ask on all the podcasts.
1: Yeah. So the idea of creating that, that question set, there are a lot of when I, so when I started to go, okay, I'm going to make a podcast. What do I want to do? I knew I wanted it to be something that was very teachable and something that you could really take things away from. Uh, but how do you do that, right? Uh, and there's a lot of ways to do it. And then as I looked out amongst uh, all of the different podcasts at the time that were in the niche, I go, okay, well, what most people are doing, they're either doing kind of this episodic thing where they kind of address one issue for a handful of episodes, or they, uh, are doing long form conversations. Right. And there was no one that was doing this idea of having a very ultra consistent structured interview. That's pretty short and sweet, 30 minutes approximately. Uh, and I was like, that would be cool because I've listened to other podcasts in the past and I've had, I've, I've listened to some that kind of had that style of a format and I really enjoyed it personally. So I'm like, well, like, if I enjoy it, <laughs> Perhaps other people will too. And I find it really easy, and I thought it was really beneficial to have that consistent format. So you ask those same things. And it's about getting the whole picture, right? I I, st- I love quotes, so I always... You know, it's kind of like the icebreaker to get people talking because it takes a second sometimes for different guests to warm up into the interview, and that's pretty cool, as, as you know. And yeah. it makes it easy you know, because you can kind of pre-prepare that question for sure because I'm asking for a quote. You know I'm going to ask you for a quote. And we can delve into that, and that kind of loosens you up. And then as we go into it, we talk about I really want people to share their career. I don't want people to – I think there's a, some podcasts out there that – let people ego trip a bit too much, which is cool it 's great to hear a great success story and I love that, uh, but I wanted to find a way to bridge that gap of let 's tell your story because it 's amazing and we want to hear it, and we need to have that as some, for some context sure. when we get into these deeper questions uh, so I love I kind of form that, but then I also don 't just go, "Hey, what are all the amazing things that you 've done?" I go, okay, what are all the challenges? What are the obstacles? Yes, we, we know that. We've already highlighted right there. You have done a lot of really cool things in your career. It's amazing. Okay, well, let's talk about all the stuff that isn't so nice. How did you navigate that? Because those things are the inevitabilities that no one talks about. That's the stuff that doesn't make it onto people's Instagram feeds and their stories. You know, let's talk about those conversations because we're all going through them, and we all have to figure out how to navigate those. And then we talk about some current events. We talk about how COVID is, uh, is, you know, hitting this industry. And then I like the last little section where we blast off like this, this quick fire round. I call it the grease lightning round, and wow. it just slamming some really quick actionable tidbits as quick as possible. Uh, Sometimes they're a bit more longer, bit longer form, but it happens. But the idea is that they're quick and they come at you real quick, but it's because of that format, you're able to pull out all these
0: gems and apply it to your career straight away, which is really cool. I think that's excellent. Um, Would you mind giving us one of the questions that you ask that's consistent?
1: Yeah. So one of the questions I say, look, I would say, Sean, you're an entertainer, I'm an entertainer, and I think that you'd agree that this entertainment industry can be one of the most subjective, brutally honest, personally emotional industries in existence, and you know as well as I, that in order to have a successful career in this industry, it takes a lot of dedication and work, and yeah, while we love what we do, we love this industry, there are also... Our fair share of obstacles, challenges, and failures that we're going to experience, we're going to have to move forward through. So tell me, what is one key challenge, obstacle, or failure you've experienced in your career, and how did you come out the other side better because of it?
0: It's a great question.
1: I have to say, where do I start? (laughs) I know, and that's a very common thing, and it's... in. I mean, that's why I asked for one, right? Because we <laughs> I, I know for a fact that we, we go through these careers and it's like, oh my gosh, the amount of the upsets that just kind of compile. And, it, and it's, but that, but that's what it's good. It's so important to have those conversations because there's not a lot of people having those conversations. Mm-hmm. So when we can dig into that, you go, oh. You can be in eight Broadway shows and then still not know what the heck to do with your career. Right. Like, that's a thing. You know, it, it's not like you make it to this pinnacle and then you're done and you've right. made it. Right. So shedding light on that is so important. And it, I think it's inspiring. And it goes, oh, wait, I can do this. It makes it more attainable and real, this career.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me some of the shows you've been in. I was just curious about that when I was reading your bio.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of them in Vegas have closed. Well, everything's closed at the moment. But uh, even before COVID, they closed because, as you know, Vegas is a very ever-evolving place, right? It right, sure. Goes with the winds. Um, one of my favorite shows was Baz over at the Palazzo. That was an amazing mm. show. Did you get to see that one?
0: I didn't, know, But I've been yeah. here for six years now. And yep. that was the time – the only time we'd been back is what I was referencing early on. And obviously right. that, nothing was done. So so yeah. what was that about? Was it, a, uh, was yeah, it so a, you know, a Cirque show or something? No, it
1: was like a, a musical. It was very nontraditional for, for Vegas because usually Vegas is very production show, you know. Loads of entertainment, lots yeah. of fun, lots of high energy. Get entertained and do that. You know, something like Les Mis would not do very well <laughs> in <No>. Las Vegas. <laughs> you know, and that's totally fine. And, and Vegas goes, all right, we, we get it. We're not going to do Les Mis. But I think Mamma Mia has been very successful. Lion King was very successful. Sure. Phantom was very successful. Uh, so, you know, actual musicals do come and they they do work in the city but you got to be choosy about what venues you put them in but right. Baz was amazing do you know the movie director Baz Luhrmann he did Of course his, yeah yeah Great Gatsby Moulin mm-hmm. Rouge all those so we took the three love stories from The Great Gatsby Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet and we all and we told all three of those stories simultaneously in this weird kind of 1920s Gatsby kind of steampunk world. It was, like, our costumes were top hats, tails, and skinny black jeans and combat boots, right? So it was cool, like, aesthetic, and got beautiful projection mapping everywhere. It was a gorgeous show. But it was so much fun to tell all those stories, and it was so high energy and great music, because just like when you watch a lot of Baz Luhrmann's shows, he takes a lot of popular music, rearranges it so it... It still fits the the piece, but it's still relatable as an audience member. And it was this great blend that the audiences could really enjoy it because, yeah, maybe they they didn't know or didn't really care for musicals or didn't know that they like musicals, but they're like, I do like this music and this is cool. It's a, it was such a great hybrid of, I think, styles of shows that was super entertaining, but also an actual musical telling stories, right? right. And it was so much fun to be a part of. I was a swing in that show, which was really cool, understudied, you know, all the different ensemble tracks and a couple of the leads and then as it turns out a crazy series of events happened and I ended up ASMing the show and then calling the show, uh, which was wild. There's even a one time we were we were down a few people uh from injuries and I was ASMing with my headset on with my costume on and going okay, going off headset here, <laughs> like, Right, put the headset on, run out, do a scene, come back, and then ASM again. So it was a bit silly, but hey, that's live theater, and you got to do what you got to do.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, assistant stage management, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, okay, just just to, to clear that up for anybody who uh, isn't a theater nerd like you or me uh, and listening yeah, to the yeah, show. Yeah. Okay.
1: yeah, like the stage manager that's on the sh- on the stage. Yeah. Exactly. Kind of, you're like in charge of all the text and everything that's happening on stage yeah. behind the, behind the scenes.
0: Have you uh, heard the cast recording to Moulin Rouge uh, that was, that's still on Broadway when it comes back? Because that concept that you described is like on steroids as far as like, mixing all different types of music together. I mean, yeah, yeah,
1: I had a like, few of the, and a few of the people that were, that came through or a couple of people, at least that came through Baz also ended up booking Moulin Rouge on Broadway. Oh. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been really cool. Uh, Ashley Loren, I believe is one of them that did that. So she's,
0: she's incredible. Oh, cool. Um, another person that it looks like you've interviewed is, uh, Jessica Lee Golden. Yeah. She was fantastic. I love her. I love her because she, she did, I love a chorus line and she did that, the revival that was here, I want to say about a decade ago. Um, I didn't see it here because we didn't live here, but I saw the out of town in Mm. San Francisco and uh, she plays Val who sings dance 10 looks three and it's got another name, but it's kind of a surprise if you haven't seen it. Um, And she, after the show, she was so nice. She took photos with us. She was really really cool uh to, oh, to all the great. people and yeah she's she's just she she's just marvelous and um and she was great in the show and I understand that she covered for cassie for did she cover for Cassie for a couple of she weeks did. yeah, and I think yeah. she said in her last i think she closed the show as cassie oh wow wow yeah and I heard nothing but phenomenal things about her turn and that that's not an easy role that role really requires somebody i've seen people who can who've danced it well but not sang it well and people who've sung it well but not danced it well i mean or or yeah. the, the it, it's off in certain it takes somebody who can do both equally well and then add acting to it so yeah i just Before, wanted to say sure I, I was looking at your stuff and I really like her
1: a lot. She's, <laughs> yeah, She's it's cool. a great interview and she's, she's amazing. It does not surprise me at all that she hung out with you guys and did photos and things like this afterwards, because that, that just makes
0: sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not everybody will do that. A lot of people, particularly in a dance heavy show like that, it's, that's, that's a workout that show. Um, yeah. But she was, she was super cool uh, about it. Um, how have you retailored your podcast to provide inspiration and motivation for artists during the COVID-19 crisis. Did you change any of the questions? Are you bringing up um, COVID a little bit more? How how are you handling that?
1: Yeah, well, the the podcast itself is a COVID creation, right? So when I did formulate the question series for the podcast, I knew I needed to include something that directly address COVID. Uh, of course, that question will eventually go away. You know, it'll change into something. I've got a couple of ideas of questions that I'll, I'll ask in its place, which will be great, but that'll be more of a an evergreen kind of idea that we're – it's just always relevant. And I'm
0: whatever. glad you're keeping it going. I am.
1: Yeah, thanks. And, I, and, I, and I, there's been a couple of times where I was like, ooh, do I – is it time to pull this question? I don't know. And I, I just don't think it's quite time yet. And I think it's so important to have that question in there because – It needs to be addressed. It's something that is affecting or has affected our, well, all of life, but particularly the entertainment industry is crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's decimated the industry as we know it. And we have to talk about that. We have to not just go, oh, it's just this thing and just kind of deal with our issues alone. We need to listen we need to ask those questions and just get people talking about it because of course it's all speculation right we can first we i want to figure out how are people what are you you working on what are your projects that you're working on right now because that's an odd question to ask right in the middle of a pandemic uh because people are like well nothing really and that's totally cool and a lot of people will say you know what my project is myself for the first time in my life i'm actually working on me And, and it's huge and people are getting this perspective and people are going oh I can just focus on me. It's okay to just sit with myself for a second and be introspective and not... Because I think a lot of people a lot of people are creating things during this time, right? And everyone has their own way of dealing with and working through this time. And I think that there's a little bit of FOMO that people are feeling that, like, oh, this person's created a podcast. This person's created a virtual dance company. This person's done this. And people are like, ah, oh, shit, I... I haven't created anything. What am I doing? You know, and to get panicky because I feel like I need to be leveraging this time. And maybe leveraging this time for you is just being with yourself. And that's totally cool. But you need, but it's great to have stories and have people talk about that and people admit and say, yes, this is, this is what I'm working on now. And it's, we need to hear that because there's a lot of people out there that aren't doing particularly well in the mental health state. And to have other people address that, talk about that is so important because it gives you permission as well to be like, Oh, other people feel crap too. You know, people are also struggling how to navigate this time. Um, But it's also uh, really interesting to get people to speculate on how is this, how is this industry going to evolve out of this? Where are we going? You know, and no, no one knows. Right. But I ask the question anyway, and I like to, I like to get some ideas and it's fun because if we can't speculate, if you can't dream something, if you can't envision something, there's no way a thing can ever be possible, right? It doesn't, things don't just magically appear into existence. They have to be an idea first. So I liked having, let's talk about those ideas. Let's speculate. And it's fun to hear these different perspectives that people have. And I think it's really good to have these
0: conversations. Good. What's, What's the thing, the one thing that surprised you the most out of people's reactions when you're you're discussing the effects of COVID-19 mm-hmm. on them, their theater companies? Um, what is there one thing that's, that's surprised, that made you just stand back or sit back and go, I never expected that answer?
1: You know, the accumulation of everything and all the different interviews, it would be just the similarities that we all have, you know, because I'm not only interviewing Broadway people. I'm not only interviewing LA or Vegas people, not only interviewing entertainers that are on the stage. I'm interviewing agents and authors and music producers and people from all over the world, places where COVID hasn't really impacted too much, places where COVID has absolutely destroyed their entertainment economy. So, through all of it, everyone is still going through the same stuff. And it's really, I think, profound to listen to that and to have that conversation and be like, wow, we are all going through this. We've all had these, it all hit, we all had this freak out moment of, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then we've all kind of found our way of navigating this time, whether that is personal development, whether that is doing a project. But what is really cool is that it's, we're all finding our own ways to still be artists because we, we are all artists. Even if we're, you know, on the other side of the table, there's, we're in the arts, right. And we have to create, we have to be artistic. And it's this thing that is so consistent through all of the the interviews that every, that's what people are, they're finding for themselves, you know, whether that is personal development, whether that is creating companies, right. It's, we are creating, we are doing something and moving forward with our art. And that has been really cool to realize that's what's happening. And I only realized it because I've interviewed 170 something people at this point. And you're like, this is the, this is the through line. This is amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's a survival that we're sort of etching out ourselves as, as we move through it. And you're right. There are, there are people who are doing a lot artistically. And then there are people who are like, I'm just, I'm getting through it. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I said this in a couple of my other shows, but um, when COVID first hit and the shutdowns happened, um, I put out on my Facebook page, if anybody wants to do a show where they talk about their feelings about co- what they're going to be doing with their, their, um, uh, their uh, careers or their, their mm-hmm. theater companies, whatever uh, just hit me up. I got, Nothing. Now, usually when I I ask, "Hey, does anybody want to do a podcast?" I get a lot of requests. But yeah, um, but I was a little bit baffled by that. And and my husband, who is you know the clear-headed one in our marriage, is looked at me and he's like, "Their heads are spinning right now." They, I mean, there are people who have had you know a roster of four, five, six, seven shows that yeah. they now that's now gone. Um they yeah. give them some time to figure it out. I think we all needed a little bit of time. And one of the things that uh that people have told me is that it it didn't if if they've got gotten a great idea and they're doing it, it didn't happen quick. I think this did a real yeah. major hit job on everyone, so
1: for sure. And even now, even now I will I'll reach out to people and they go, "You know what? Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm just not in a place yeah. to talk about it right now." And that's that's cool. You know, and it's not a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we're all having to, to uh, you know, take care of ourselves and each other. Mm. Uh, you know, you have you have a wife and and a child, and they're they're probably number one priority: safety, health. You know, yes. so yeah, I I get that. I totally get it. Um, now. Since you're Nevada based, I did want to ask you a little bit more and go into a little bit more detail about. Since I, I love Las Vegas, I've been to Las Vegas probably 150 times, but. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. Right? <laughs> well, my David loves to gamble, and I'm not a big gambler, so I will go to see a lot of the shows there. Yeah. 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 I love the Cirque shows. I love. I saw Mama Mia there multiple times. Um, yeah. Uh, Tony and Tina. Uh, I mean, I just, I have Rock of Ages, all that stuff. Anyways, um, how, give us a a few examples of what's going on there and how Las Vegas theater is being affected. I know nothing is open right now. What's that doing to the artistic community there?
1: There are some, so artistically, people are, taking care of themselves in a lot of ways, you know, people are doing lots of different projects and uh, doing lots of socially distanced performances out in the desert and photo shoots and things like that and finding their, their outlets. But as far as it finding, you know, income to perform uh, it's, it's hit and miss it. There's just not very much of it at the moment Mm -hmm. Uh, and the rules keep changing, right? We have everything obviously shut down. Uh, for a long time, and there's just nothing happening, right? right? And a lot of the shows, that was it. And they go, right, we're we know for a fact we're never going to come back after that. But then there's other other shows that have been very successful, and they said, you know, we're we are going to overhaul this thing. I was stage managing uh, at Absinthe uh, the night the, the night before they made the announcement where they Caesar shut everything down, and. Oh. We had the producers come in and they're like, well, we're trying to do what we can do, and then it closed. But Absinthe has been one of the shows that is so good at adjusting. I mean, they're very fortunate to be a very successful show mm-hmm. uh, in Las Vegas, it's been voted, I think, number one show for multiple years in a row. But they're fortunate because they have they've got a bit of buffer with as far as money to support themselves through this time, which is they're super grateful for. But they also They also adjusted so quickly. They've made their entire space so COVID-friendly. It's ridiculous. Upgrading the air circulation system, cleaning everything, readjusting the seating, plexiglass, readjusting the entire show i mean if you've seen absent it's pretty full-on and then lots of crowd participation and it's in a tent in the round and it's like oh, 650 680 people or something like this all smooshed you know quite close together but the show is amazing because of that experience but it can't be that right now and yeah. they've done an amazing job at adjusting and the first thing that kind of came through was right you can have 200 people uh 250 was it 250 at the show max, right? Yeah, I think it was 200. And the tough part about that is, you know, now you've taken their their theater and cut it down by more than two thirds, and then it becomes a logistical issue, a financial logistical issue. where You're like, well, sure, thanks for letting us have people, but we can't pay the bills even if we sell 100% of this house, right. so it's, it's really difficult. But absent, for instance, went they did it, they opened, they did everything, followed all the protocols, were very safe, did testing on everybody every single day, handled it brilliantly. And then recently, uh, so they, loads of shows came back, right? Fantasy opened, uh, Absinthe opened, a handful of other things opened. And it was it was a thing that was happening, because they're like, okay, we can, we can make this happen with the, these numbers. And then all the flare-ups started happening a handful of mm. weeks ago, right? And the governor goes, no. Nope. And they said, 50 people in a show. And everything closed again. I think action. the
0: audience members per show
1: yeah. was all you, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. too that's much. laughable and in a way. <laughs> exactly. Because they've also gotten bulked into, they've gotten grouped into shows have been, I think they're classified as group gatherings. Whereas the, yeah. the, the irony of it is that say, if you're a gym, like a fitness gym, you can be at 25% capacity. Right. And, there 's a lot of speculation there 's a lot of people doing things I know absent and the team they' they 're really trying to be behind that push uh, and you know getting people together, the producers of shows and say, "Look're our classification is incorrect you know we We need to have more people in here. We can still have more people in here and do it correctly. do it safely and it's it's uh, it 's a hard time, but the rules keep changing, and everyone keeps adjusting. As much as they can but I don't know what's going to happen the the thing that is kind of working more than that is these smaller these smaller gigs these smaller events and I think that's kind of a trend that's going to be happening for kind of the foreseeable future uh, not just in Vegas but but everywhere and the people that I know that are having the most consistent work uh, of this time are people that have bands. I have jazz bands. I have a great friend of mine. She's also on one of the early episodes, Anne Martinez. Amazing person. You might want to talk to her. She's great. And she uh she's got a great band and they go and they play in different places and it's, you know, very socially distanced and they're just but it's just ambient music more or less and performing to crowds that are around and in these lounges. And I think that is kinda of going to be the way forward for a while because you can control it. You can. It's small. It's a small amount of people. Uh, but I don't know, even yesterday, actually, I was speaking with Catherine Winter. She's based in New York City, and she's in the only live show in New York City right now. And it's a very experiential theater kind of thing. And you go, they've got these different experiences throughout the village, and you go along, and you, you know, they tell these stories, and then you move on, and you buy tickets, and it ultimately goes into a, like this church area that's. Uh, that it wraps up there. But if you're just a, a passerby, you would see the performance happening on the street. Wow. So, but it's, they're making it work, right? That, but it's very small. She's a, it's a, a very small cast and a very small experience. But because it's outside, because it's spread out, it's something that they can make work. And I think things like that and being really creative is, is going to just be the trend moving forward because we're not going to wake up one day and Broadway's back, right? It's right. going to have to build and expand over time to kind of testing the waters. Can we do things at this scale and still be okay? Sure. Um, yeah. It's a weird time, but yeah, we're, we're managing.
0: Are you, are you seeing like an exodus of people out of the city? Cause that's happening here in New York. A lot of people are moving back with parents or moving back to where they try, you know, the majority of New Yorkers that I know were not born and raised here Um, and, and they, they're just saying it's, I mean, it it costs a truckload of money to live here and they're like, I I can't do it anymore. Even with, you know, eight roommates, I can't do it. Is that happening or that, that syndrome happening in Las Vegas? Yeah, it is. I mean, the cost of living
1: is much lower in Vegas than it is in Manhattan, but it's, you know, you still usually earn income in in conjunction with the cost of living. Right. Right. There's a bunch, there's a bunch of people in Palo Alto making $300,000 a year, but really they're living like a, someone who makes 70,000. So it's, it's just what things cost usually in cities. Uh, but yeah, there's been a handful of people that have left the city. They've gone home. They've, because they don't, or their lease comes up and they're like, "Mm, I'm not resigning right now. No, Not going to do that. Uh, and people are, you know, waiting out their leases and so they don't have to pay penalties and things like this. But that's a thing, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that's also happening industry-wide. I think beyond just people moving back home or wherever that might be, uh, I think there's also going to be a bit of an exodus of just entertainers that are going to remain in the industry through this. Right. People that have been had great careers, successful careers, but perhaps they're at a point in their career where they're like, all right, I've been very fortunate, I have a great career, I've developed loads of relationships throughout my career, and essentially the calls just don't stop coming in, which is a brilliant place to be in, and that's really where we you know, ultimately want to be. We, if you don't have to line up and go to auditions all the time, or even get appointments to go to auditions all the time... And people can just call you and have work for you. That's pretty cool. Or just private auditions, right? right. Uh, that's the goal. And there's going to be a lot of people, I think, that are that were in that position, that go, "All right, I think this is my time to to retire from being on the stage, and now it's time to pivot to a different part of the industry." Which again kind of brings it back to the podcast and why that's an important resource to be like, "How did people transition out of their careers?" Because I think sure. that's going to be happening a lot. Uh, in this industry but I think the silver lining for that as well is that for all of these young kids that are in these training programs right now they've just graduated into an industry that is non-existent Mm. keep training keep it up keep doing what you're doing because when we do come back there's going to be so much more available there's going to be a lot of people that have left the industry through this time and we're going to need people to fill those spots we're also going to We've also are seeing loads of people creating lots of stuff, loads of content. There's going to be so many shows and stuff being produced when we're able to produce it. So that I think it's going to be this massive kind of renaissance explosion of shows when we get the opportunity to come back. So I think it's it's still an exciting thing to be a part of if you're young and you're like, where is this industry going? Is it worth training this hard to be a dancer to be a singer to be an actor and i say it is if that's something you're passionate about do it because i think there's going to be an outrageous amount of opportunity in the near
0: future i totally agree um i've made it my goal to not stop writing um to take my podcast to different places um and and to to try and be hopefully a positive force as you have yeah um, within all of this. And, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean I wake up every day, you know, under a giant rainbow. I'm, I still have my days where I'm like, I don't know if I could do it today, but I've, I've, I've kept going and I've kept trying. I, I totally agree with you, Dane. I think, um, if we do the best that we can and we keep pushing, um, we can, we will be ready when it comes back. Um, and, and another observation is, is that I think, and I don't know if you've noticed this with your conversations, um, when people are pushed creatively and their back is against the wall, they turn into geniuses. I've interviewed some people who've come up with ideas where I was like, how in the world did you think of that? It's, it's, it's like, you know, having to do a big play in a small theater. Sometimes you have to do something creative that, that turns out to be an incredibly brilliant idea. So it's pushing us to, to do that. And uh, I, are you encountering that with any of the people that you're hearing? Cause I'm, I'm getting that a lot.
1: Yeah, for sure. Who was I speaking with? I spoke with a choreographer the other day named Brendan Hansford. He's a choreographer in the UK. He's choreographed for people like Sam Smith and uh, loads of other people. He's, he's, he's incredible. Uh, but he's through this time. he, so he was primarily with choreographing, but through that, he restarted a production company that he had like a decade ago. So he started a, uh, a production company or an agency, which turned into a production company, which turned into a clothing label, like he all in the handful of months. And it's, it's crazy. And this is happening to a lot of people. People are starting little projects and they just kind of expand and expand. So it's happening. Yeah. People are making it work.
0: Excellent. Well, I've got to let you go soon. And before I do, I want to give you an opportunity to um, to give everyone your social media information. If you have one location where they can, everybody can find everything else, that's yeah. great. Or if you have a couple, that's fine, too.
1: Yeah. So on social media is probably the best and easiest way. I'm, of course, everywhere, but... Go to Instagram. That's primarily where the podcast uh, interacts and lives. Uh, just search for "You Booked It" podcast and give us a follow and send me a DM. And I'm happy to chat. I'm super responsive. Uh, and reach out there if you like the interwebs. Uh, go ahead and you can go to youbookeditpodcast dot com. And then if you want to listen to the podcast, you can find it via Instagram. Of course, it's the link in the bio. But really, search "You Booked It." on any podcast platform whichever is your favorite right. uh, and it'll show up
0: i know i read all of the podcast platforms i'm on and i like i have to take a giant breath before i did <laughs> I had to use my so breath mean. control from school yeah <laughs> well dave you've been a, a great wonderful guest and and i really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about all of the experiences that that not only you've had, but sharing experiences from the collection of people that you've been interviewing. Um, It, it, it makes us feel a a lot closer, um, a a lot less alone um, Mm -hmm. and kind of like takes a a big, scary world sometimes and makes it a little smaller and a little more uh, comfortable and safe. And I appreciate that you're doing that. And, I just wish you like a million broken legs, not just in your podcast, but in your career. I just know you're, you're, you're going to just, you're doing well and you're good. You're going to take off. And well, you've already taken off, but you're going to take off again, like all of us. (laughs) And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's unlimited for you. So um, congratulations on everything. And um, again, thank you for being on your program is your ticket.
1: Oh, Sean, thank you for having me on. Thank you for all those kind words. And wow. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and having this conversation today. Oh, and cool. oh yeah, thank you so much.
0: And thank, thank you everybody for having a listen. Right. <laughs> thank you. That's that's very kind of you to say. Well, folks, the eleven o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken. So it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to amazing theater performer and entrepreneur Dane Reese. He was great. You can find more episodes of Your Program is Your Ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network, who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page of bpn.fm slash ypyyt. Again, that's B-P-N dot slash Y-P-I-Y-T, which stands for Your Program is Your Ticket. Isn't that clever? Your Program is Your Ticket is also on Facebook at Facebook.com. Your Program is Your Ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at program ticket. I'm also on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Casts, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform, Thespi. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. They really help with my profile, and and as I said, I totally appreciate it. A quick thanks to North Coast NYC, the hip-hop improv theater ensemble that does my intro and outro music. You might be hearing it right now. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer as we transition through and out of this pandemic. Watch their content, give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. It's the best way you can help them, and the fastest, because they get the money right away, and they can sure use it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And until our next show, so long, theater people, and Kurt.